0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: Hey there, this is Kelly MacDonald, co-host of Kelly and Company on AMI-audio. On our show, we talk about the events and happenings that are relevant to the blind and partially sighted community across Canada. With the help of our regional contributors, we'll keep you up to date on what's happening in your community so you don't miss out. So give Kelly and Company a try and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chuita Gupta. And this is The Pulse. Overwhelming evidence suggests that employment rates for people with disabilities remain stubbornly low. Despite people with disabilities achieving high levels of education, it can be challenging to line up related work experience and ensure career advancement. There are, of course, a number of systemic factors for this. Biases in the hiring process, stigma and prejudice based on an applicant's disability. Hence, it is incumbent upon businesses and companies to work towards changing their practices, policies, and culture. But there is also a corresponding need for disabled job seekers to find a way to network with mentors in their chosen field and make those valuable connections which ensure employment opportunities and advancement. Today, we discuss disability, employment, and networking. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Juhitha Gupta, and I'm the host of the program. It is wonderful to have you with us today, and I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you will stay safe and stay informed during the pandemic. To that end, I just want to remind you, as I do every time I come on air, that you can find the latest AMI-audio coverage related to COVID-19 at ami.ca forward slash COVID-19. If you go there, you can find the coverage related to the pandemic from all of our daily live shows. Now with Dave Brown, Kelly and Company, and of course, whatever we covered right here on The Pulse. My guest today is someone who sent us a really nice note uh, over Facebook Messenger, which I found several weeks after the fact, but he had some very interesting perspectives to bring on to the program. And I've I wanted to invite him on. So without further ado, my guest today is Joseph Danowski. Joseph is legally blind, has held numerous positions on Wall Street, and has been actively involved with advocacy within the disability community. Joseph, it's always nice to have a listener on the program. Welcome.
0: Well, thank you, Joytha. It is a pleasure for me to be here. I've been uh, listening to your program for several months, and as I said, I was quite impressed.
1: Well, thank you very much. Uh, so you have had many years of experience having many positions on Wall Street. I think a number of us would like to hear about some of your career experiences and and, and some of your pathways as a lawyer with a disability. Tell us more.
0: Okay, so... Um, when I first graduated law school, I started my career at a large law firm in Philadelphia. I worked there for about three years. And then I came to Wall Street to work for Bear Stearns. And I was at Bear Stearns for about 22 years. Uh, the first 14 years so or so, I was in the legal department. And I headed a team of lawyers that focused on uh, insider transactions, a business we called prime brokerage, and derivatives. And then I moved to the business side where I became one of the founders of the advisory services wealth management business. So I was one of the experts in structuring transactions and uh, financial products for you know high net worth individual investors. And then uh, J.P. Morgan acquired Bear Stearns after the financial crisis, and I continued in a similar role at J.P. Morgan. And Mm -hmm. after a few years, I had the opportunity to become the head of strategic solutions for Barclays Wealth America, and I did that for a few years until Barclays decided to uh, retreat from the wealth management business in the United States. Mm -hmm. I then had the opportunity to become a private client banker advisor at U.S. Trust, which later changed its name to Bank of America Private Bank. And then recently, I came full circle back to the law, where I am now the general counsel at Wolf Research, which is a boutique equity research firm in the city of New York.
1: Tell us a little bit about how, as your career path evolved, the conversation about being legally blind may have changed. Did that come up at all for you?
0: Well, let me say this: uh, through from my very first jobs that I that I ever had, you know, I always was upfront about having a visual disability. So, I, you know. I can I can walk without a cane. I could walk into the interview room without a cane, but clearly I'm not going to make eye contact directly. Uh, I, my my head turn may be a little off, and I always felt that an individual who has a vision disability has enough of a challenge to get over that uh, uh, discomfort or to get over some preconceived ideas that the interviewer may have that the last thing I wanted was to have the interviewer think that somehow I misled them or I wasn't upfront or I wasn't honest. Mm -hmm. But there's another factor to it, which is I'm who I am and being visually impaired is who I am. And it's really nothing to apologize for. And I also believe that to get a job in terms of the formula I think about and talk to people about is you have to determine what concerns people have about um, you as any applicant. And that idea of having a vision disability is an elephant in the room that you need to address and talk about and convince the interviewer and the company that you're able to do the job. And it's up to you as the impaired, person with the visual impairment to explain to people who are not visually impaired how you're going to do the job.
1: I think that is a question that a lot of job seekers with disabilities struggle with, to disclose or not to disclose. Uh, When is the best time to disclose? What would you say to someone who said, you know, I'm a bit uncomfortable with disclosing my disability at the interview stage or even in a job application on the off chance that, the stigma associated with hiring a person with a disability would act against me.
0: You know, I think that if you have a vision disability, and it is, you know, for most people with a vision disability, I would say, there will be some detectable aspect of their eye contact that you are not going to be able to disguise. Okay. Mm-hmm. And therefore, why not be upfront about it? Because what is going to happen is that the interviewer is going to think that there's something amiss with your personality, or you you uh, don't appear confident, or something along those lines. As mm-hmm. you probably heard people say, you know, the first thing about an interview, have a firm handshake, make eye contact. You know, that's always like the the first two things people say
1: hmm. So tell me a little bit about what sort of a response you got from people on your hiring committees when you said in, in the way that you do you know, completely upfront, I have a visual impairment. Were people surprised? Did it in any way change the course of the conversation during your interviews?
0: You know, I think it made people more comfortable. Um, I I, th- I think it really made people more comfortable because I was open to talk about it, and therefore mm. they were open to talk about it. But I do want to say, um, Joytha, as my career progressed, the sort of what I would call a cold interview process changed because once I uh, once I left Bear Stearns, JP Morgan, every opportunity I had was through somebody who knew me, Mm -hmm. knew that I had a vision disability. And frankly, all the people then that I interviewed with in those organizations knew I had a vision disability. Even though I talked about it, that reference and that vouching for me went a long way. And that's something I talk to people about, that they got to build this network of champions.
1: Mm. We'll talk about building the network of champions on the other side of a break. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is just your role within Wolf Research. Um, can you tell us about what the equity firm does, uh, what your role is right now?
0: OK, yeah. So um, equity research, we provide research on individual companies to uh, hedge funds, money management firms, mutual funds, family mm-hmm. offices, Um uh, organizations like that. Um, we have about 200 people working there. We cover uh, several uh, uh, what we call verticals, you know, many verticals of, mm-hmm. of in industries. Um, and what I do as the general counsel is I touch on a little bit of everything. So it could be everything from the regulatory side, you know, what, what the aspects of dealing with SEC rules might have on our business employment contracts, dealing with outside law firms, law firms in, in sometimes in different countries. Um, and then the everyday things that come up in the operations of the business contracts relating to IT services, uh, you know, uh, vendors we use for uh, payroll, things like that. Mm-hmm. So basically, I touch on every aspect of the business.
1: Well, aside from, you know, being employed and having this long career, you're also very active within the disability community, uh, doing advocacy work on behalf of people with disabilities. Tell me a little bit about Alpha Point, because I believe you sit on the board for that organization.
0: Yes, yes. So Alpha Point is an organization that is part of a, a, a group called the NIP, National Industries for the Blind. And... What we do is we provide work, you know, in terms of employment, manufacturing. We we manufacture under government contracts under something called the Ability One Act where we get uh, certain contracts from the US government. We independently seek contracts to manufacture, let's say items for the military, such as tourniquets. Uh, we also work in the service area so we train people how to use computers how to use technology we also have unrelated government work where we uh, have call centers where we run call centers let's say for some colleges under uh under separate contracts and then we have some contracts with um uh, the you know some corporations like where we might uh cut rolls of tape and distribute that or other mm-hmm. office supplies and things like that. But what is really interesting to me with this is that we are trying to create a situation where people can have jobs. And and when I say what what I what I mean by that is uh everybody can't do the same kind of job, you know, some mm-hmm. people aren't meant to uh, do work on a computer or what I would call the gig economy type work. Some people want to do things and make things with their hands. Some people mm-hmm. want to work in a call center and work on a computer. And we offer those opportunities, but we also look for ways to move people up. Maybe somebody who starts out manufacturing could move into a management role and supervising that manufacturing mm-hmm. or somebody in the organization may say, you know what, I want to reach out. I want to move from here into a private sector opportunity. So we also provide that kind of placement as well. If I didn't say from the start, we operate two uh, locations, one in Kansas city, Missouri, and one in Queens, New York. We have about 200 people in Queens or so.
1: Right. Joseph, one of the things you talked about that I really wanted to spend some time on is this idea that many people with disabilities fail to establish the social networks or the mentorship networks that are so valuable in achieving career goals. Why is it that people with disabilities find themselves at such a disadvantage?
0: Well, I I think one of the reasons is that from the beginning, many people with disabilities are not in the mainstream of the workplace to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not able to participate in things like uh, being part of a country club and being able to go on uh, a you know on a golf outing. They have you know issues in terms of going into a crowded room or an event and recognizing faces and developing relations in that way. I think those kinds of things uh get in the way. And I think that, you know, people sort of have to learn how they gotta to get to the same networking place that people who are cited can be in.
1: Mm-hmm. When they talk about women in the workforce, one of the arguments that comes up frequently, you must have heard, is about the glass ceiling and how women just don't seem to be able to achieve a level of success in their careers. Do you feel there's an element of unconscious bias when it also comes to career a career advancement for people with disabilities?
0: You know, I I haven't I haven't experienced I personally once I was in an organization can't say that that was something that quote pre- prevented the career advancement. It's, it's so hard to know mm. why someone rises to a certain level. I when I was at Bear Stearns I became a senior managing director which is the equivalent of a partner in the firm. Uh, I held a managing director at title at J.P. Morgan and at Barclays and and now at Wolf. So in terms of those titles, I, I'm satisfied in, in where I've, you know, what I've been able to do. Um, but I think the thing I, I do want to point out, in much of my work, because of the way things are set up, so much of my time when I worked at Bear Stearns and I worked at, um, uh, you know, Barclays or J.P. Morgan... So much of my conversations and day-to-day work were over the phone with people who had no idea that I had a visual impairment. Eventually, mm-hmm. the word got around that I did in an organization. But I think I was judged on my work and my interactions with people. And that's really what started things going. And I I, I advise people, don't focus on the idea that there's something preventing you from getting ahead, focus on what you can do because that's what people are interested in. They're interested in what you can bring to them and focus on doing the best job you can and focus on being a team player and just being the best employee you can be. And then I think, let the rest take care of itself. And, and, you know, of course you have to network and do that, but, that's my kind of general advice there. Don't don't focus too much on worrying about what that environment, is there a discriminatory environment
1: once you're in a job. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, just to push back a little bit, a lot of the conversation as it relates to people with disabilities in the workforce does get couched in terms of discrimination or in terms of laws that require equal opportunity in hires. How do employers deal with that? I mean, on the one hand, uh, they are legally obligated not to discriminate against people with disabilities, but would it also not be fair to say that they should create a culture that's inclusive of people of all abilities?
0: Yes. And I do believe that companies can do things in in that area. You know, uh, I thought about that, you know, uh, 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 a little while like maybe two years ago I had a preliminary conversation concerning an opportunity to be a uh, director of disability inclusion in a company. And I talked about some of the things that I thought companies needed to do consistently as a policy. You know, Mm -hmm. one is a message from the top down that indicates how, you know, the company wants to uh, make the, the organization an open place for people with disabilities to encourage managers to hire people with disabilities, but also to put teeth in it by basically saying that none of the expenses associated with accommodating a person with a disability should fall to the department who chooses to hire such a person.
1: Uh, Mm -hmm. It should
0: be part of a central expense. Um, I also believe that companies need to reach out, uh, form... Internal groups of people with disabilities that can network together within the organization I think organizations can create mentoring structures inside a large organization to help people move along in their career people mm-hmm. who have disabilities and then I think that the organization uh, you know sizable corporations could reach out to schools and sponsor disability groups at the schools and career groups at schools and in, and you know, make an affirmative effort to reach out to the disability community in that way that that's some of the ways i I think about it. But I'm going to circle back, Joytha, to, to your original question, which is, even though corporations, it would be great to have a great program like the ones I'm describing, mm-hmm. I don't want the person with the disability to think negatively. I want them to go into the world positively, trying to control what they can control, which is Mm -hmm. how they behave, how they do their work, how they present themselves in an interview, how they develop a network, et cetera. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, uh, you mentioned in some of our previous conversations that you've been quite involved with the AFB Uh, the American Foundation for the Blind, their mentorship program. Can you tell us in a few words about the program and also let us know if Canadians can sign up?
0: Well, okay, let let me tell you about the the program. So um, AFB has has a real focus on improving the image of people who are blind and getting them involved in the workforce. So, you know, um, last year we had a Uh, an employment summit at Google where uh, in New York, where we invited, uh, we had, we had, there were, there were several corporations represented uh, many, you know, uh, I I would say more than several, quite a number of, you know, major corporations like bank of America, JP Morgan, uh, who were there. Uh, We had many individuals with, you know, uh, vision disabilities, the 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 point was to think about ways in which we can improve uh the the whole process of corporations helping people get into the workforce uh, we then uh had another project which was this mentoring program mm-hmm. and we had to do you know we originally were going to get together in in person and meet our mentees and and there was an event planned, but obviously COVID interrupted with that. So we can we conduct it uh, remotely, and basically it's meeting with a mentee, somebody who has applied to to uh, be in the program, and to uh, be paired up with somebody, and you know, kind of guide them through the things that they may need to do in terms of m- making the necessary steps in their career.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, do you know if Canadians can also sign on to be a part of this program?
0: Well, th- th- there were all, there were only about, um, I believe, sixteen or twenty individuals in the program, and I, I, I was attempting to find out actually in, ahead of this call whether AFP offers any programs in Canada, and I could not. Uh, I was not able to find that out. However. Uh, maybe you should think about starting one. I mean, it
1: could be. Maybe. Uh, it, I mean, more uh, the merrier, right? Maybe, I'll,
0: I, maybe I'll, I'd be happy to help you.
1: I think that's an excellent suggestion because when I think back to my early days uh, looking for work, it would have been really helpful to talk to someone who had been there and done that. Um, take, you know, I'm sure you can think back uh, with a degree of nostalgia to your first day on the job, maybe your first ever job interview interview we've just got a few minutes left here. What advice would you give a young person with a disability? Maybe it's blindness, maybe it's something else. What's the advice that you would leave them with so that they put their best effort into the job seeking process?
0: Be prepared. Understand every question anyone's going to ask you. It's not rocket science to figure out what questions you're going to be asked. Just reverse your roles in your head, and you can easily come up with a a list of questions, rehearse those questions so that you understand and answer so that you really understand yourself, um, understand what the needs of the organization are. And in some ways, understand that it's your responsibility to promote yourself. It's your responsibility to think about how you're going to help move that interview along as opposed to sitting back and waiting for the questions to be asked and answered and then leave. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I think it's been really wonderful getting to know you and speak to you about some of your work and accomplishments. Just before I let you go, how can the rest of us keep up with your work? Do you have a Twitter handle or a Facebook page where we can go?
0: Oh Well, I am on LinkedIn, and uh, you can find me there. Uh, I I have a Facebook page. You can
1: find me there. Joseph, thank you very much for being on The Pulse today. It was a pleasure speaking to you.
0: Thank you so much.
1: That was Joseph Danowski, a legally blind lawyer and disability advocate who shared some of his experiences and tips for job seekers with disabilities. If you missed any of my conversation with Joseph, you can catch it on your favorite podcast platform. As we wrap up here, I just want to remind you that there is a lot of value in some of the things that Joseph said today, especially about being a job seeker with a disability who can bring value to a company just by being there. So it's important in an interview situation to be forthright about your disability, at least I think that's a good idea, and try and answer questions from interviewers and other prospective employers. It's not that I'm saying that people with disabilities have the full responsibility to make sure that workplaces are inclusive. You need allies at all stages and in all places within the company. But it doesn't hurt as a job seeker with a disability to put your best effort in. I hope you'll check out AMI.ca forward slash on the Pulse. I have a lot to think about in this interview. And after this conversation, I'll make sure to write out a blog post corresponding to that, which you can go ahead and read. I'd like to thank Joseph Danowski for being a guest on the program today. Nasreen Abdul-Majeed is our technical producer for The Pulse. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI Audio. And Paula Dineen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day.
0: This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.
1: Hi, I'm Ramya Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.